Welcome to Radio Naturopath, the talk show about health and natural medicine. This show will first be broadcast on Wednesday, February 28th, 2024, which is not the last day of February this year. There's a February 29th. Happy birthday to my previous sister-in-law, Frances, on 91.7 FM, WHUS Doors. I am Fran Storch, ND, naturopathic physician, with my co-host, Ron Meniza. Yep. We're coming to you live from beautiful Mansfield Hollow, Connecticut. Comment below to let us know you're here and ask questions. You can also email me at radionaturopath at gmail.com. If you'd like to listen to the show at another time, you can check out our podcast at whus.org, iTunes, Spotify, Patreon, and Buzzsprouts. You can also check out my Facebook page and Instagram at Fran Storch, ND. The views expressed on this program do not reflect the views of the staff, management, or licensee of this station. The information presented on the show should not be construed as medical advice or direction. If you're having a medical condition, please consult with your physician. I'm continuing to adjust my herbs and my Buna protocol. I, I figured out that if I really go a little harder on the binders, that that helps me. So what happened is, so last weekend, when I tried to ride my bike and do a lot of yoga, I wound up having a bad Sunday afternoon with a lot of shaking and and symptoms and stuff like that. So I had to go ahead and do stuff for Herxheimer. So, you know, I've always go through this thing where I'm like, all right, are these tremors really Lyme? Are they really tick-borne illness or are they something else? Do I have multiple sclerosis? Do I have ALS? Something like that. And everybody's like, calm down. No, you don't have any of those things. (laughs) Because the tremors come and go. And when I treat them like they're a Herxheimer reaction, it works. So if I take Alka-Seltzer Gold, if I take a binder, if I take very low-dose lithium, they abate. And if I rest, um, if I get overtired, um, that's also a problem. And I think I'm still getting overtired because I'm inciting my immune system to go after this thing. So I found that one of the things I'm going to do is most days I'm going to take the binder and I take the binder at in the middle of the night. So it's well away from other supplements and herbs that I'm taking and, and food. So I wake up to go to the bathroom between three and five in the morning. So somewhere in there, that's when I take the binder. So I take, so I take um, 2000 milligrams of chlorella and I have the chlorella separately from the binder. And the binder that I have has ingredients. It has zeolite clay. It has activated charcoal, aloe vera. Um, it has silica, apple pectin, and humic and fulvic acid. So these are things that are negatively charged. And the um, proteins and uh, the inflammatory compounds that tend to cause Herxheimer reactions tend to be positively charged. So the binders... And, and you excrete the um the endotoxins through your stool so taking a binder orally will help to bind them in your stool and i guess if you're getting symptoms that means that they're exiting through your stool as well that that you're not you're not eliminating fast enough so the key is to keep eating lots of fiber just eat a lot of fiber like i do better if i have a higher fiber day um, and so I have to make sure to have fiber in the morning, either either yogurt with chia seeds and fruit and nuts and seeds, or oatmeal or quinoa with same um, chia seeds, fruit, nuts, and seeds. Um, so eating fiber throughout the day. And I also was eating a more animal protein-based lunch, and now I've gone to a more vegetarian lunch that's more um, 
falafel and grape leaves and hummus. So it has a lot more fiber in it. And then supper, we always have a lot of fiber. We either have soup. If we have soup, there's vegetables in it. And then I put, uh, if I haven't had chia seeds earlier in the day, I put chia seeds on that and I put hemp seeds on that as well. And if we're having salad, of course, the salad is loads of fiber. Um, you know, it has, um, has greens and has tomatoes and carrots and radishes and cucumbers and um, avocado. And then I put nuts and seeds on top of that. And uh, so I'm getting a lot of fiber there. And then we have our protein source along with it. Like last night we had that salad and then we had sauteed um, Cajun chicken, which is very nice. It's a lovely, lovely, simple dinner. I, I enjoy those. Um, so, so getting a lot of fiber is really key a and it just, just keeps things moving along. And I've got, let's see, two nights left of antibiotic. I'm, I'm going to go antibiotic free starting on Wednesday. Oh my goodness. I'm nervous about it because I think the antibiotic helped me and I'm going to have to rely on herbs to, to get antimicrobial. The other thing I did is I keep trying to refine my, uh, my herbal protocol and I went in and looked to see what else Stephen Buhner had to say uh, about um, the herbs that I might need. And I noticed that, so a couple herbs piqued my interest. There, he, he has a chronic fatigue formula and it turns out I'm taking a lot of the things that are in the fatigue formula, but I decided to add a couple things that are in it because I do get tired easily. If I push myself too hard, I get tired. And we're not talking just, all right, I'm pleasantly tired. It's time to go to sleep. I'm talking what I call toxic tired. It's, it's, it's tired like I have to stop what I'm doing. I feel like I don't feel well and I go to sleep and I wake up the next morning unrefreshed. And that toxic tired can be helped with acupuncture, um, bathing, Epsom salt baths, um, gentle exercise, um, and that I can get out of that. Um, but if I'm toxic tired and I have to go to work, that's a bad scene. And, and I sometimes have to do that, uh, especially on Fridays because I have a big long day on Thursday and then Friday morning I have to go right in early in the morning and I'm usually pretty tired on Fridays. Friday's my hardest day uh, energy-wise. What, there was a, a couple weeks ago where I woke up on Friday and I felt a lot better. So anyway, I wanted to see if there's anything I should be doing to improve my energy. I'm taking vitamin C. I'm taking coenzyme Q10. Um, among the things in the energy protocol that um, that Buner showed was um, curcumin, which I am taking. He also suggested a, a bunch of things. Milk thistle, which I'm not taking. I'm taking so many liver supportive things that I don't know if I'm going to add milk thistle in. I have milk thistle pills, which I could add if I wanted to. Um, but I'm taking berber and pinella, which are, and the berber is definitely a liver tonic. So I've got that going on. But one of the things he uh, suggested was eleuthero and I thought eleuthero would be a nice thing to add. So I'm going to get eleuthero tincture and I'm going to start taking that. And the other thing is spirulina. And so I, I'm going to add those two things and see if it in, increases my energy at all. And I'm intending to take the eleuthero and the spirulina in the morning so they can't go in the... Um, they can't go in the lime marita. They can't go in the lime cocktail because uh, the lime cocktail gets taken throughout the day. And I need to um, I, I need to only take the eleuthero in the morning. So I'll see if I'll get uh, solid extract or caps. I, I'm, I'm just tired of taking capsules. I'd rather take some kind of liquid and it's going to be more more intense. And Buhner is very much a fan of tinctures because then you get all of the constituents. That's an advantage to taking tinctures over taking capsules that um, you're getting the true herb 
the herb has nothing done to it except that it's placed in alcohol and all of the constituents get expressed in the alcohol. Uh, when I told Mariah, my colleague who um, is a Lyme literate naturopathic physician, um, she, I, I said that I'm taking resveratrol because she suggested I take Japanese knotweed tincture. And she said, um, I, and I said, I'm taking resveratrol already. She said, well, it's better to take the Japanese knotweed tincture. So I'm taking both. I mean, that Jap the resveratrol um, capsule I'm thinking is going to, gives me extra antioxidant support. And I'm sort of aiming that at my cardiovascular system. And then the Japanese knotweed, of course, is a herb par excellence for both Lyme disease and Bartonella. So I'm continuing to take those. It's, it's such a beautiful tincture. It's so dark. You could see the anthocyanins in the tincture. It's very lovely. So uh, it suggested Andrographis too, but Buner um, is concerned because some people get allergic to Andrographis. I've never had a problem with it, but um, he also said he refined his formula to exclude Andrographis because a lot of people have trouble with it. So I'm just going to leave that out just because it's uh, I'm taking so many things right so anyway so I'm so the thing I'm doing is I'm refining I'm I'm and the other thing I added was sarsaparilla sarsaparilla is really good for your adrenals too and one of the things that I read in Buerner's work is that sarsaparilla um calms the Herx reaction it helps to smooth out the Herx reaction so I'm like oh yeah I'm putting that in so that's going in and that's going to go in the limerina and that will go I'll take that all day so sarsaparilla is something I'm going to add and it's a very simple herb that I learned about a long time ago in school it's it's good for your it's good for hormonal modulation it's good for your adrenals it's good for energy it does help to kill Lyme disease but it also is anti-Herx which I kind of need because that's the worst thing. The worst symptoms that I have are the intermittent tremors and extreme fatigue. And along with the fatigue, there's a bit of lightheadedness. Uh, but the, the lightheadedness is not as extreme as the fatigue. I just feel like I, I, I can't go on. And um, if I overdo it, I get tired like that. I felt like that at the end of the day on Saturday, and I felt a little groggy when I woke up on Sunday. Fortunately, Sunday, I was able to just rest for most of the day, and this morning, I feel pretty good, so so that's good. Um, and I was able to ride my bike. I'd only rode the bike on the trainer for a little over half an hour for three days. Today, it was exactly half an hour, and the other two days was like 35 minutes. And Thank goodness I didn't have a Herxheimer reaction from exercise, which is very exciting. And that's part of the why, why I wanted to start taking the binder regularly. And I'm seeing on this, this product, the, this particular binder that I'm taking, that they only suggest taking one pill at a time, and I've been taking two. So maybe I'll go down to one and see if that works. Because um, maybe I'm overdoing it. At binders bind you. They kind of slow you down. And so you have to really keep drinking your water because they want you to take one pill and have eight ounces of water when you take it. And I don't always take the eight ounces of water because it's the middle of the night and I don't feel like drinking that much. So that could be an issue too that I just really need to make sure that I'm doing the water all the time. And I've got, I've got water all the time. Here's some right here. Down it goes. Yay. All right. So that's what's going on with that. So if you're having chronic fatigue uh, for any reason, things like greens, chlorella, spirulina, uh, herbs like eleuthero, sarsaparilla, rhodiola, even ashwagandha can be helpful. I'm taking ashwagandha, but ashwagandha is calming, so I tend to take ashwagandha at night. Um, I've considered rhodiola. I'm not going to put the rhodiola on board yet. Again, taking so many things. Um, so... 
And like I said, I'm nervous about two days left of the antibiotic. What am I going to do after that? Will I add more stuff in or will I just, you know, stay the course and, and see how I do? So anyway, that's what's going on with that. Orthopedics are not too bad. Um, I have uh, a little pinchiness in the left side of my back, which comes and goes, and it's better from stretching. And then my knee, my knee pain comes and goes. And the knee pain, I am curious about. I, obviously, I have some joint degeneration in my knees anyway, but I'm wondering if the Lyme affects that. And I feel like when I'm having flares, the knee gets worse too. So the knee's been cranky for a few weeks now, which is which is unfortunate. So makes it so that it's hard to go to the extremes of the range of motion, like to bring my knee in really tight or stretch my leg out really far. And how sore that is varies. It really varies. And after I go for acupuncture, the other thing, I'm continuing to go for acupuncture, although money-wise, it's hard to go every single week, but I've been going, you know, two to three, every two to three weeks. And I always feel better after acupuncture. If I feel toxic, tired when I go into acupuncture, I feel better when I walk out. And then I get a really good sleep. So, and then sat because I go on Friday nights, Saturdays I feel really energetic. And then I have to be careful on Saturdays because then I tend to overdo it because I feel better. And that's something that people with chronic fatigue deal with, that you're having a good day. So you're like, oh my God, I'm having a good day. I have to get done all these things today because I don't know if I'm going to have energy tomorrow and you wind up overdoing it and you don't have energy tomorrow. But like I said, as long as I have days in the week where I know I'm going to be able to rest, I can push it a little bit on previous days. So I have to kind of moderate myself on, on Mondays, which is the day I generally record radio. Yeah, not all the time, but this week we are. Um, and so I do the show, I get through the show and then we have to process the show and the whole process takes a long time because, um, there's the actual doing of the show. Then there's figuring out what you want to talk about next week. And then there's, um, editing the show and uploading it and all that stuff and it takes a long time. So I'm not usually done with that. Um, for, I mean, it takes a good, the whole process takes three to five hours, depending on whether I'm sitting in for Ron's show or not. So it's a long time. And then I have to go into the office and do charts. And then, and after that, I'm done for the day. I can do yoga if I want and take my Epsom salt baths and stuff like that. So hopefully today it will be a nice day and I'll be feeling good most of the day. And that'll be exciting. And, um, and um, I'll keep you posted on how else this is going. All right, so last week um, was post-Valentine's Day, and so we were talking about romance and even sex, and I wanted to get into the health benefits of sex. Um, you know, sex is something that becomes harder as you get older. I, I talk to my patients about this, about the different things that they go through at, with aging for women. You know, they need, they need sexual comfort and... Um, you know, we, we recommend things like hyaluronic acid for vaginal dryness and sometimes um, low-dose estrogen locally for vaginal dryness. And the understanding is that for vaginal dryness, um, estradiol locally or even estriol locally doesn't tend to get absorbed systemically. It just helps with the local tissues, but the half-life is so short that it doesn't get into your body systemically. So there's not a concern about, um, uh, about reproductive cancer. Um, but it can provide um, more moisture and sexual comfort and uh, less um, le less chafing of the tissues. So that that's really helpful. 
Uh, and hyaluronic acid is very nice. Hyaluronic acid is something that's part of all the tissues in our body, our connective tissue and our bones. Uh, and hyaluronic acid is hygroscopic. It draws water to it. That's why you'll find hyaluronic acid in a lot of face creams, uh, face lotions. So it helps to plump up your tissues and make your skin nice and soft. Uh, and so when you take it internally, it will help to plump up tissues in your, your bones and your connective tissue. And when you apply it topically to your vulva, it will help with with that moisture for the tissues there as well. So it, it helps, aloe is also something that you can apply and aloe helps with healthy cell differentiation to that area. Um, and so, so those are, those are things that can help. And so having sex itself has health benefits. So um, trying to make sure that you're having a good sex life with your partner is really important. And if you're not, um, then it's something that's that it's a good uh, thing to work on. It can have physical and emotional benefits. There's a reduced risk of cardiovascular disease, improved mental health. Um, it, it can help your physical, intellectual, emotional, psychological, and social health. Um, so there are studies that suggest that sex is good cardiovascular exercise. It can help to lower your blood pressure. You actually burn some calories while you're having sex. It, it can increase your heart health. It strengthens muscles. Um, it, it increases, having sex actually increases your sex drive because, so it's a move it or lose it phenomenon that if you don't have sex, you'll have a lower sex drive. And if you do have sex, you'll tend to have more sex drive. Also, all of the parts work better if you keep them working. It's just like any other exercise. If you have regular sex, your um, sexual organs, everything functions better. So you reduce your risk of, uh, cardiovascular disease, stroke, and high blood pressure. Uh, when you have an active sex life, you also tend to exercise uh, more frequently and have better dietary habits. And is that a correlation or causation? It, it's not clear. If you feel better, you're going to tend to have better sex. And if you have better sex, you're going to tend to feel better. Um, when you get regular exercise, it it um, cross it, it it helps out to help your sexual performance as well. So. Um, Sex can also improve your immunity. People in romantic relationships who have sex at least once or twice a week have more IgA, immune globulin A, in their saliva. But if you have infrequent sex, have less IgA. So immune globulin A, is to, it's an immune protein that sits on the surfaces of your mucous membrane. So it's in your nose, it's in your whole respiratory tract, it's in your whole digestive tract. And you're going to share IgA with your partner. So it, you're going to get, you're going to be sharing DNA with your partner. So it could be an, an immune stimulation because you're getting foreign, you're getting foreign microbiome from your partner and you're getting foreign cells from your partner. So your immune globulin A is going to get kicked up because it, it's nothing against your partner, but your partner is introducing foreign microbiome and DNA to you. So it increases your immune activity. Um, and uh, immune globulin A is helpful in fighting against sexually transmitted diseases like human papillomavirus. Um, and if you have sex more than three times a week, they had the same amount of IgA as those who had infrequent sex that um, anxiety and stress could cancel the positive effects of sex. So if you have sex, you can sleep better. Um, when you have sex, 
you release oxytocin, which is the love or intimacy hormone, and also endorphins when you have an orgasm. And those um, hormones can help to sedate you. That's why some people find that if they have an orgasm, they can sleep better. Um, and of course, when you sleep better, um, you tend to live longer. You tend to be more well-rested, which is great. You have more energy during the day because you're well-rested and your immune system is improved. If you have headaches, um, that if you have an orgasm, it can help migraines and cluster headaches. And if people, if you could manage to be sexually active while you're having a migraine, um, if you, you can get, there's a 60% chance that you are, um, your migraine will improve. And some people report moderate to complete relief when you have a migraine. Um, a small percentage reported an improvement in symptoms and cluster headaches, which are uh, a more um, localized form of a migraine headache. And 91% reported moderate to complete relief in cluster headaches. So say if you have chronic headache, especially uh, vascular, the vascular type, because again, when you're having regular sex, you are improving your cardiovascular flow and you're releasing endorphins and you're also um, releasing oxytocin. And so all of those things can help to calm the blood vessels, increase circulation, and counteract the, the pain pathways that are causing the headaches. So, um, so let's see. So a recent review found that men who had uh, more frequent um, just classic intercourse they had less risk of uh, developing prostate cancer. Um, mm. And so there was a study that found that men who averaged um, 4.6 to 7 ejaculations a week were 30% less likely to have a prostate cancer diagnosis before the age of 70. This in comparison to men who reported only two or fewer times a week on average. Um, so for men, sex may also affect your mortality. Uh, there was a study that found that a 10-year follow-up reported that men who had frequent orgasms, that's two or more a week, had a 50% lower mortality risk than those who had sex less often. Uh, although results are conflicting, the quality and health of your sperm may increase with sexual activities. There's some research that suggests that that makes sense because if you're releasing sperm, your body's going to look and go, all right, we're depleted, let's make some more. And And if you're turning over the sperm, you're going to continue to produce more and chances are uh, the more you produce um, the, the more likely the, there's going to be healthy sperm. If you are not releasing the sperm a lot you're going to have a backlog and there's going to be more um, more unhealthy. There's a certain percentage of sperm are not healthy and so if you turn over a lot there's going to be a lower percentage of that at any one time uh, being stored in the, um, in, the vest, in, in the seminal vesicles. All right. For women, when you have orgasms, it increases your blood flow and increases pain relieving chemicals. It can help if you have incontinence, it can help with that. It can help your bladder control. It can help with menstrual and premenstrual cramps, both during um, your menses as well as over the course of the month, because you're going to have more of those pain relieving uh, compounds around. Um, it, it helps your fertility to have regular sex. So uh, again, then that's probably hormonal that you're, you're, when you use the hormones for what they are intended for, they do what they're supposed to do. Um, you, you'll get stronger pelvic muscles, um, which, which makes sense. Um, and so uh, when you have regular sex, you tend to make more vaginal lubrication. Again, it's a move it or lose it thing. If you use the organs, they do what they're supposed to do. Um, it's possible that if you have more sex, it might protect you against 
endometriosis, which is the growth of uterine tissue outside of your uterus, uh, probably because you're releasing, you're increasing circulation and you're having a better rise and fall of hormones during the course of the month. And uh, endometriosis, there's a lot of theories about what causes endometriosis. One of the thoughts about endometriosis is that um, it's because you have extra, uh, extra toxic chemicals that behave like estrogen in the body and so if you have more regular sex you have more circulation you tend to excrete those things better also because you are having uh, sex one of the things that happens is the uterus itself contracts while you're having sex and while you're having an orgasm and so if there are toxic chemicals around uh, those organs they tend to contract and when you contract muscles it pushes toxins out just like we we're talking about with exercise and Lyme disease, when you contract those muscles, if there's um, if if your joints and muscles are holding on to tincture and uh, tincture, if they're holding on to microorganisms, when you contract those muscles, uh, it tends to move things out. And if you move them out too fast, um, you can have a Herxheimer reaction, which is not going to be a problem if you're having sex in terms of the. Um, of the environmental toxins, but you can release environmental toxins by exercising your sexual organs. And like I said, the idea is that you have um, xenoestrogens, foreign chemicals that behave like estrogen and bond to your estrogen receptors in your reproductive organs, and those can cause overgrowths of tissue and unhealthy overgrowths of tissue. And of course, if you have endometrial tissue outside of your uterus anywhere, when your hormones rise, that tissue grows, which can cause pain. And when you have your menses, that tissue um, has a lining and it bleeds like anything else. And then it bleeds into your pelvis and you're not supposed to have free blood in your pelvis. And that causes pain, extreme pain. So um, helping, um, so so having, having sex and exercising those organs can help you um, move endometriosis and get rid of it. Um, when you have sex, it can strengthen your pelvic floor. When you strengthen your pelvic floor, you can have... So if you have sex, you'll have less pain during sex. The more sex you have, the less pain you have during sex because you have um, a strengthened floor, a pelvic floor that can contract and relax when it's supposed to. Um, and you have less chance of a vaginal prolapse. Um, that... Um, uh, classic intercourse, penis in the vagina, can result in reflexive vaginal contractions caused by um, the act of the intercourse. Uh, so women who continue to be sexually active after menopause are less likely to have significant vaginal atrophy or thinning of the vaginal walls. And when you have that vaginal atrophy, it can cause pain during sex. So it's a, it's a, it's a uh, downward spiral or an upward spiral. If you have more sex, everything tends to work better. If you don't, it tends not to. And then you have to turn around and do other things to make it so that you're more comfortable, like using the hyaluronic acid or using the estrogen, and then getting back into sex. And once you get back into sex, everything will start to work better. How can sex benefit your mental health? Um, when you have sexual activity, whether it's by yourself or with a partner, it has important psychological and emotional benefits. Um, like exercise, sex can help reduce stress and anxiety and increase happiness. Um, and um, sexual activity can correlate with increased satisfaction with your mental health, increased levels of intimacy, love, and trust in your relationship, um, improved ability per to perceive and express emotions, and less use of 
of defense mechanisms. You're going to feel closer to your partner, so you're going to tend to be more compassionate and kind and not get defensive when you are, um, when you, that lead to emotional conflict and distress. When you're older, sexual activity can affect your well-being and your ability to think that when you're sexually active um, between 50 and 90 years of age, you have better memory and they're also, you're also likely to feel less depressed and lonely. So frequent sex can help boost your confidence and it can make you look younger because you release estrogen during sex. Um, so that's, that's really interesting. So sex makes you youthful. It's a fountain of youth. Um, there's a correlation between frequent sexual activity and looking younger between like seven to 12 years younger. And uh, when you and when you're comfortable with having sex, you also are more comfortable expressing your sexuality and identity. Um, you can have uh, sex can help you connect to your partner uh, a lot, largely because of that oxytocin, that that lovely bonding hormone. By the way, you make oxytocin when you bond with anybody. You'll make oxytocin if you're hanging out with friends, if you're petting your dog. You and your dog make oxytocin, or your pet, any pet doesn't matter. Uh, usually, a pet that you have a physical relationship with. So not so much with a lizard, uh, although humans who are caring for a pet, even one that you don't touch, will make oxytocin in the act of bonding with that pet. I don't know if a, like a, something that you don't pet makes oxytocin, but with a cat or a dog, when that cat is purring, cat's making oxytocin and so are you well, while you're snuggling or petting the cat. Um, and dogs, of course, when you, when you pet the dogs, the dogs make oxytocin and so do you while that's happening. Um, but when you snuggle with your partner, even if you don't have intercourse, if you just snuggle with your partner or hold hands, you make oxytocin. You have better relationship satisfaction when you fill each, fulfill each other's, um, sexual desires. And you might find that your relationship is just better in general when you express, um, good relations through sex. Um, you can have sex by yourself through masturbation and that helps too. And if you do it by yourself, it can, it gets you to let you understand your own body. It helps with sex between partners. Um, you have an increased ability for orgasm and it helps your self-esteem and body image and it increases your sexual satisfaction and it treats your sexual dysfunction. Um, and there's very few health risks associated with sex unless you're injuring yourself. Um, so celibacy and abstinence, um, you can, um, you can have an active, happy, happy life without sex. Um, but the benefits of sex come with feelings of pleasure, which you can also get from listening to music. Like I said, interacting with pets and also having a strong religious faith. Um, in the United Kingdom, the NHS says there was a long-term study of nuns, uh, who found that many of them lived into their 90s and past 100 years old because they had satisfaction in other ways, that they had satisfaction through uh, prayer and connection with each other and, um, you know, helping the community and stuff like that. So sex is part of um, life and your overall well-being. It's good for relationships. Um, it helps with physical and emotional bonding. It helps with cardiovascular disease. Um, you don't necessarily have to have sex. You can engage in other pleasurable activities like exercise, having a pet, having a strong network of friends, and it's only one way of improving your quality of life. So you'll make oxytocin, when, like I said, when you bond with other people. If you're a person who doesn't have a partner and are not having sex, don't worry. It doesn't mean your life is over. There's other ways to get those that connection and partnership. 
And if sex is part of your life due to a relationship or desire, you should be able to communicate and experience your satisfaction. And you'll find relief and an increase in happiness when you make sure that you have time to have sex. So, um, all right. Here's, um, so we've talked about um, sex in general. Let's talk about ways to increase your, you're like, but friend, I don't have much of a sex drive. Uh, um, okay, so let's talk about ways that you can help your sex drive. All right. So, um, so here's, there's some basic things. There's things you can eat. Uh, so some of these are things that you can eat. So certain fruits can help you with your sex drive. Um, there, there's not always great evidence, but if they're healthy foods, you might as well try it. Avocados, figs, and bananas are considered libido boosting foods. Um, I'm going to guess bananas because they're high in fiber and they help you be more regular. Um, and because they have potassium in them, which is going to make you more able to relax. Uh, any fruits and vegetables are going to be higher in potassium and, and calming. Figs also are considered this way. Figs are really interesting and delicious. They're also high in fiber, um, and they have antioxidants in them. They're high in, they have some anthocyanins, which can be helpful. Uh, and, um, and, and, also, and then avocados... Uh, avocados are high in uh, various kinds of fiber. They have thylakoids in them, which help uh, with your metabolism. So they're going to help with your um, help to boost your hormones and help you feel better that way. Uh, and they also have vitamins and minerals that increase circulation, um, especially to your genitals. Then there's chocolate. Of course, chocolate has always been a symbol of desire. We talked a lot about chocolate last week. Um, it has, it tastes really good. It's supposed to improve sexual pleasure and it helps you to release serotonin, which can, um, help you with your sex drive. It helps you to really, which helps you to release, release endorphins and help to lift your mood. It also helps you to release phenylethylamine, which is a pleasure hormone. And serotonin can also regulate blood flow to your genitals and, that, that can help if you have more circulation getting down south, then you're going to feel better and you're going you're gonna to tend to have more um, desire for sex. Herbs, basil and garlic can help you with your sex drive. Um, the smell of basil stimulates your senses where garlic, the allicin in garlic, which is, is a vasodilator, so it helps directly with circulation. But the basil, it's a sensory thing which is interesting. Um, and so if you have erectile dysfunction, eating more basil and garlic. So pesto is an aphrodisiac kind of food. How cool is that? Um, so there's yohimbine, which is an alkaloid found in the bark of a West African evergreen, um, the yohimbe tree. Um, and it has similar um, function to Viagra. So the which is um, it and that helps uh, that helps with local circulation it can help to maintain an erection it can also help the quality of an erection and can improve sexual function if you combine it with other treatments um and so um there are some people who use it and find it helpful and it hasn't been entirely uh more research needs to be done anyway if you focus on the way you feel about your body, it can help you to focus on your feelings about sex. If you eat a balanced diet and you have regular exercise, it can help you feel more connected to your body and improve your self-image. You can shift your focus to um, how you feel during sex. Wine, if you drink one glass of wine, it can help to put you at ease and increase your interest in becoming intimate. But of course, too much alcohol can impair your ability to perform by affecting erectile dysfunction and also hormones. 
Um, if you have too much alcohol, it can inhibit your ability to orgasm. So if you have just a little bit of wine, it can be helpful. If you have too much alcohol, it, it's not so much helpful. So take time to meditate and relieve stress. Um, if you, of course, stress can affect your libido because cortisol, when you release too much cortisol, it suppresses your reproductive hormones. So it makes it so that you don't feel, um, you don't have as much sexual feeling when you're under a lot of stress. And, you know, and it's, it's that unfortunate thing where, um, if you, if your body thinks that you're in danger, it's going to release more cortisol, which is going to suppress your reproductive hormones, which is good for survival because in order, sexuality in human, it has a basic function, which is to make it so that you have more humans, right? So if you have sex, there's a chance that you're going to produce more humans. So we want you to produce more humans when you're in a state of relaxation. So if you think things are chill and calm and there's uh, there's no marauding invaders coming to the tribe and you have time to take care of yourself and be well and take care of your nutrition, your reproductive hormones are going to come to the fore. Um, if you... Um, if they're if you're in danger that marauding invaders are coming or it's wartime um you're going to release more cortisol and that's going to suppress um, your reproductive hormones and make you less wanting to have sex because the thing is if you are pregnant it's much harder to run away from the bear or run away from the marauding invaders so in order to, for you to survive we want you to just plain survive um, so cortisol suppresses your reproductive hormones. So if you want to be more sexual, then one of the things you need to do is to reduce stress. The less stress you're under, um, the more likely you are to have a good sex drive and, and want to have sex, which, which just makes sense. So if you're under a lot of stress, you can look at the stressors in your life, see if there's any, anything you're doing that you can let go of, and then do things to actually reduce cortisol. The best thing to reduce cortisol is deep breathing. So however you get to deep breathing is going to help you. You can just sit and do deep breathing. Like one of the things I've talked about in the past is, um, four, four, eight breathing or four, two, six breathing, where you inhale for four, hold for four and exhale for eight or inhale for four, hold for two and exhale for six. When you exhale, when your exhalation is longer than your inhalation, it helps to activate your parasympathetic nervous system. That when you have, when your parasympathetic dominant, it calms cortisol and you're going to have more desire to have sex. Uh, you know, it's when you're, when you're sleepy in the morning, when, when you wake up and you're, you know, getting your way out of sleep, your reproductive hormones tend to be higher and that's a good time to um, consider having sex. You tend to feel like it more. And sometimes if you can, if you can relax in the evening and then relax into bed, that's a good time too. Finding the best time for you, of course, is a great thing to do. But be aware that anything that involves deep breathing, meditation, yoga nidra, straight up yoga, uh, yin yoga and restorative yoga especially can um, are, are really great for an enhancing blood flow, enhancing breath and calming cortisol. Sleep will make you want to have sex more. If you don't get enough sleep, you're going to have more cortisol. Um, you're going to be too tired and your body feels stressed when it doesn't get enough sleep. So it releases more cortisol and suppresses your reproductive hormones. So getting adequate sleep is a good thing. Um, last night, we, it was before 10 o'clock and we were both like, all right, eyes are not open anymore. And we turned the lights off. We went to sleep and we had a great night's sleep because we went to sleep early. Remember what I said, that, that old Newf Newfoundland saying, 
um, which is any uh, any hour of sleep before midnight counts as two. And I used to think that was a what we call in Jewish a bubamainza, which means an old wives' tale. But there is some there is some um, science to that, and the science is that uh, cortisol is highest in the morning so that you can wake up in the morning and norm a normal cortisol pattern is that it's highest in the morning and it gradually decreases over the course of the day until it's lowest at around 9 10 11 o'clock at night it starts to rise again between like midnight and one and so as it's right if you go to sleep late you're not going to hit your cortisol low. You're gonna start. You're gonna get to bed when your cortisol starting to rise again because it rises. It, it gradually rises over the course of the night, and your your deep sleep gets shorter, and your REM sleep gets longer, and you tend to remember your dreams more until you wake up in the morning because your cortisol is high. Uh, and so you want to hit your. You want to get to sleep while your cortisol's still on that downslope. And if you get to sleep, you know, between 8, 9, 10 o'clock, your, your cortisol is still decreasing. So you'll hit that and you'll fall asleep comfortably, not when you're completely exhausted. And then you get some good sleep those hours and you'll be more likely to um, get into all of your four stages of sleep. And in the first part of the night, you'll get into your stage D sleep, the really deep uh, stage three sleep, which you really need for restoration. And then so the other thing that happens is melatonin melatonin is highest at that time of day and you want to hit your melatonin high that and melatonin and cortisol have an inverse relationship to each other so you want to go to sleep when you have your melatonin high because you'll be able to get to sleep better and melatonin decreases over the course of the night so it's low in the morning so you can wake up so if you hit your melatonin uh, when it's highest eight nine ten o'clock at night Again, you're going to get better sleep, and um, and you'll by the time um, your melatonin tops out and bottom and your cortisol bottoms out, you'll be asleep already. And and so that's how that every hour before midnight counts as two. That that's how that works. And you'll be able to wake up early in the morning if you want to, uh, if you get more sleep. Um, so the sleep itself helps your immune system, helps you to relax, helps you to have less pain, helps you to be less stressed, helps your, uh, helps all kinds of things. Um, so your relationship, make sure your relationship with your partner is good. When you're upset with your partner, you don't want to have sex so much. So if you're having trouble with your partner, work that out. And if you absolutely can't, um, work it out with your partner, maybe you want to not be in that relationship. So for a lot of people, sensing emotional closeness is important to sexual desire. That means that unresolved conflict can affect your sexual relationship. So you have to be able to communicate, and it's really important for building trust. Um, and it's important to prevent resentment from building up. So make sure your relationship is in good shape. And so if you need to get counseling, if you need to spend more time with your partner, even if you haven't been... Um, intimate with your partner, even start by just hanging out and snuggling more, you know, and, and just, yeah. and then it can, <laughs> it can lead to other things, <laughs> this guy. All right. <clears throat> if you're having trouble, talk to your friendly naturopathic physician or another health professional, your gynecologist or urologist or your PCP um, to talk about ways that you can um, help to boost your sex drive. Um, and, um, 
there could be anything going on. If your thyroid isn't working right, if you have vitamin deficiencies, if you have low vitamin D, anything that's out of balance in your body can make it so that you have less sexual desire. So work on those things. Talk to a professional and get some help with those things. Um, so things like massage therapy and acupuncture um, can help with your with your sexual function, sexual abilities. Um, so, so talk to your doctor about anything that puts you out of balance, whether it's cardiovascular disease, medications that you're taking, um, you know, health conditions that you have can affect your sex drive. And if you want your sex drive to improve, then you should talk to a physician about those things. Um, so focusing on your overall health can help. Exercise increases blood flow. Um, eating a balanced diet uh, with a lot of fiber in it, that's vegetables and fruit, lean protein, whole grains, get enough sleep to regulate your hormones. Um, foods, uh, fenugreek, garlic, oysters, chocolate are considered to be natural aphrodisiacs. Um, ginkgo biloba, L-arginine, and ginseng. Ginseng helps hormonally to regulate your health. Ginkgo biloba has anthocyanins that strengthen your blood vessels and circulations. Uh, maca is going to be helpful for hormonal issues. L-arginine is an amino acid that helps with circulation. It helps to calm blood vessels down so you have better blood flow. Uh, beets are going to be helpful for that as well. Anything that increases nitric oxide is going to be helpful. And chocolate, one of the ways that chocolate works, it's not just about the hormones, it's because it has cocoflavanols that increase nitric oxide, so that helps as well. Like I said, yoga and acupuncture both can be helpful. Those are both things that I'm a big fan of. Um, so things that can cause your libido to be low, like I said, stress disruptions in your routine, medications like antidepressants and hormonal therapies can affect your libido. Um, if you're concerned about your libido and feel like it's low, you should talk to somebody. Um, and uh, spontaneous desire can be achieved. Sometimes it just happens all of a sudden. And then responsive desire is what happens that when it's predictable, when somebody um, does things that you like, uh, or having uh, you and your partner touching each other in a certain way can help the, to trigger your libido. Um, and there are medications that can help with sex drive too. Uh, herbs that can help with sex drive, for one, for women it's Damiana, for men it's Tribulus. And as I said, ginkgo, uh, ginseng can help with sex drive in, in both genders. Um, and the other thing is remember that if you have a low sex drive, um, weight training is helpful. It's helpful in the long term and also immediately. So one of the funny things, one of the jokes that I make is if you want to have a good, uh, a, a nice evening with your partner, um, you go to your partner and go, um, oh, thank you. I, I, Ron brought me some chocolate. That was really nice of him. <laughs> so um, I think I'm getting a hint here. Um, so Anyway, um, if you want to have a fun evening, you can go to your partner and say, hey, honey, would you like to move some furniture? Or go to the gym or your basement or wherever you have your weights and do some resistance training. Resistance training can be body weight. So if you do a yoga workout that has a lot of core strengthening or some, you know, what's sort of a power workout, doesn't have to be a very intense uh, hard vinyasa, but just one that has some more strength poses in it, where you're spending more time in standing poses in your warrior one and two, or in plank or doing core work. All of those are going to be helpful for your sex drive. Those are uh, and Pilates is also something where any anything where you're accessing your muscles and increasing muscle mass 
is going to be helpful for your sex drive. And so if you with your if you can do a workout with your partner and then you might find that you have more desire that evening. So yeah, so uh, so those are some things I, I wanted to get into libido. Libido can be more difficult as we get older, so that's one of the things I want to talk about as part of aging. Um, yeah, so Good. anyway. All right, so that's... Um, so now I want to talk about something else interesting, um, that the side effects of too much caffeine. So caffeine, I have an interesting relationship with. A small amount is good. Too much is not good. Um, I enjoy, and the thing is, caffeinated beverages, I tend to enjoy them. Like my favorite teas are the Camellia sinensis plant, which is um, black, green, and white tea. And I prefer those to herbal teas, although I will still drink herbal teas. Every night I have a cup of Tulsi tea, which is a lovely calming tea. It's holy basil, and it's really good for your immune system. It's really good for your adrenals. So I have that every night. That's what I take. I have Tulsi tea with collagen in it every night to take my evening supplements. Um, so, but the, the truth is that coffee and tea are actually incredibly healthy as long as you don't have side effects from the caffeine. And, you know, if I have too much caffeine, it doesn't work for me. Ron apparently can't have too much caffeine. <laughs> so it all depends on, um, uh, it depends genetically on how fast you metabolize caffeine. And I am clearly a slow, a relatively slow metabolizer of caffeine. And Ron is a um, fast metabolizer of caffeine because he can drink coffee for the entire day. And, and you know, you can have caffeine late in the day. It doesn't matter. And I have to be very careful. I can induce my caffeine breakdown enzymes if I have a little bit regularly. But I'm, I've taken to making sure I don't have caffeine past three in the afternoon. I can tolerate more if I've had heavy exercise on that day. And the sad thing is I just really enjoy it. I mean, a really good cup of coffee is delicious, but I can't have a lot of it. Um, like I said, I can have more caffeine the more exercise I have gotten. But if I'm, uh, you know, mostly having mellow exercise, I can't have a lot. and Because I feel very uncomfortable. I feel shaky and jittery, and um, it can induce my tremors if I have too much so I have to be really careful. But small amounts in the morning are okay. Um, it's safe for most people who can who consume low to moderate amounts, but high doses can have unpleasant and even dangerous side effects. And your genes have a major influence on your tolerance to it. Um, individuals who aren't used to caffeine can have symptoms after consider, considering what is even a moderate dose. So here's some side effects of too much caffeine. The first one is anxiety. It can make it so that you're more anxious. Uh, caffeine can increase your alertness. It helps to work by blocking the effects of adenosine, which is a chemical that makes you feel tired. At the same time, it will trigger the release of your fight or flight hormones, your adrenaline. Um, and uh, so at higher doses, those effects can become more pronounced, leading to anxiety and nervousness. Um, and there is an actual anxiety disorder called caffeine-induced anxiety disorder. It's in the DSM, which is the uh, Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders, which the American Psychiatric Association publishes. And so, um, so the thing is, um, I have patients who come in, they tell me that they're anxious. I ask them, I always ask them about what their caffeine consumption is like. Oh, only one cup in the morning. And I'm like, okay. You're having, uh, they, they either they can't sleep or they're anxious or they're both. 
and have to talk to them about, look, if you are anxious and you are not sleeping, it doesn't make any sense to have something in your body that exacerbates that. But it's only in the morning, but it can affect you throughout the day because it sets up your nervous system and your hormones and your neurotransmitters so that you're in a state of um, exaggerated high adrenaline, low adrenaline, and um, and it, it just doesn't work. Uh, so having any at all, if you are in a state where you're getting jittery and you're getting um, you're getting symptoms or you're not able to sleep, it's it's really not a good idea. And one of the things I talk to people about is um, reducing, uh, either reducing or eliminating caffeine if you're coming in for those symptoms. Yes, Ron? Caffeine and ADHD. Right. Okay. So hang on. Let's, okay. let's, let's uh, hold that thought. Hold that thought. Yep. Um, some doses can cause rapid breathing and increase stress levels when consumed in one sitting. Um, there's a study in 25 healthy men that found those who ingested about 300 milligrams of caffeine had more than double the stress of those who took a placebo. Um, however, cortisol levels are similar between regular and less fre- frequent caffeine consumers. Um, set, it, it suggests that it's going to have the same effect on your stress levels, whether you drink it habitually or, um, or uh, once in a while. Um, coffee's caffeine content can be really variable. A large coffee at some, um, ca- some uh, beverage places may have as much as 330 milligrams of caffeine, and that same large coffee in another cafe might not. So, um, so if you're nervous and jittery, you may want to cut it back. So, um, so before I get into insomnia, Ron asked a question about why does um, caffeine improve symptoms of ADHD? So if you have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, you tend to be tremulous and heavy, but the, the, um, the issue is that um, it's, it's, it's an autism spectrum disorder. So what happens is when you're paying attention to your environment, Um, all stimuli come at you at once. It's hard to distinguish between different stimuli. So it's hard to focus on one thing when you have a lot of stimuli coming in. And so uh, you, so you tend to have, um, you tend to have elevated catecholamines when you have ADHD. So why does it make sense that if you have elevated catecholamines, which are your norepinephrine, your epinephrine, and your dopamine, why would something that increases those make you feel better? Um, and so that's what that, there's a phenomenon in, um, there's, there's a phenomenon in pharmacological medicine, which is pharmacology being the study of the way that drugs work in your body, uh, where there's a partial agonist effect. So um, when you, so there's a rate dependent effect. And so if you already have a high level of catecholamines, then if you take a substance that increases catecholamines, it'll help to level them out. It, it's a, a partial agonist effect on the neuro, on the receptors of the neurotransmitters. That bonding, the, those um, neurotransmitters, when they bond, they will both um, they will both block and stimulate the receptors. So if you have enough um, neurotransmitter blocking the receptors, it tends to bring the level of neurotransmitters down in people with that partial partial agonist effect. Um, and so this is not going to work in someone like me where I don't have ADHD. It just revs me up. Someone like Ron who has ADHD, 
child. When he takes caffeine, it might have actually have a calming effect on him and it makes it so that he can focus better. So likewise, when you have ADHD, um, they, they don't just give you, they don't just suggest caffeine. Ron doesn't take any pharmaceuticals, but people with ADHD are given amphetamines. So amphetamines have that partial agonist effect on people with ADHD and they find that they can focus better, that they will, the amphetamines will both stimulate and block, um, the receptors for the catecholamines and make it so that the person can focus. Uh, and that is something that is known pharmacologically. So... So um, I'm going to I'm going to have to wrap it up that, uh, you know, I have so many people come in with problems with anxiety and I try to insist to them, try to do something that try to back off or reduce your reduce or eliminate your caffeine and see if your anxiety improves and see if you can sleep better. So we'll jump back into um, the side effects of caffeine next week um, and we'll start with um how caffeine affects insomnia and what you can do about that. So, um, so I'm gonna, um, I, I'm going to uh, wrap it up here. You have been listening to Radio Naturopath, the talk show about health and natural medicine. I am Fran Storch, ND, naturopathic physician, with my co-host Ron Meniza. You can email me with questions and comments at radionaturopath at gmail.com. If you'd like to listen to the show at another time. You can check out our podcast at whus.org, iTunes, and Spotify. You can also leave questions or comments at my Facebook page, Twitter, and Instagram at FranceDorchND. The views expressed on this program do not reflect the views of the staff, management, or licensee of this station. The information presented on the show should not be construed as medical advice or direction. If you're having a medical condition, please consult with your physician. Thank you for listening to Radio Naturopath, your show where you can learn about the best of science and nature. We'll be back with more Radio Naturopath next week at 91.7 FM, WHUS stores and whus.org.